Today we're starting a new series that I'm calling Foundations. It'll take 12 weeks, and I mean that, 12 weeks for, for reals. I mapped that out already. I'm, I'm just going to prove Nick wrong uh, on this one. And uh, the idea is to look at 12 foundational doctrines that we believe uh, that are very important and essential for the Christian faith. And uh, so that's going to be the goal, 12 12 lessons on those 12 doctrines. Um, why 12? Not sure. <laughs> 12 apostles, 12 tribes. You can come up with that. Just that it's actually it's three months. That's really why I did 12 is, uh, uh, there. And it uh, takes us towards uh, December when you usually do things differently then. And we're going to start that where the Bible starts by looking at the foundational doctrine of creation. And then we're going to then move from there. We're going to look at the, the doctrine of God, doctrine of man, doctrine of salvation. And the, the doctrine of salvation is going to be split in various parts. And, and uh, then doctrine of providence as well. And when you put that all together and split into several parts, it'll be 12 lessons on 12 different doctrines. And I'm going to try to uh, show to you how these things actually matter to everyday, for everyday life. They are not just theological exercises uh, for us, but they actually matter for everyday life. Uh, the Bible is, talks about God doing two things, and that's it. Everything that God does, every, all decrees of God, all the works of God can be categorized into two, two, two places. The one is what we spent all week at camp studying, which is, come on, kids, providence. Okay, that would be disappointing. Uh, uh, providence, and the other is creation. All the decrees of God, the works of God, are, are shown, shown in his work of creation and his work of providence. So those are the two major categories where everything else fits as far as how, what God does in relation to this world. It's creation and providence. And today we're going to talk about providence, or not creation, and creation in general. Not necessarily the creation of humanity, because we're going to talk about that under the doctrine of men, or humanity. And, but, so we're going to mostly take a look at how God created, and why God created, and what's the purpose, and so on. And I want to start by saying that the, the idea that God created is... Has been part of Christianity from the very beginning. See that in the creedal, creedal statements of Christianity. There's never been a, an age of the, of the Christian era in which the church as a whole doubted that God created all things. For example, the most famous Christian creed, the Apostles' Creed, begins I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. That's the most basic of the Christian. The post-biblical Christian creeds, the Apostle Creed, uh, teaches in this very first statement that God is the maker of heaven and earth. And this is repeated in all kinds of other ancient creeds uh, throughout the history of the church. Our standards, the Westminster Standards, have a fuller discussion of the theology of creation. And the catechisms relate the creation to the free exercise of God's will. In, in larger catechism 14... Uh, it asks, how does God execute his decrees? 
God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. In essence, why did God create according to this question? What is, what is the, why did God create? According to this question. No, why? Why did God according to this, to this answer? Because he could. That's what it says there towards the end. He created because he could. He is free, he's free to do what he what is consistent with his nature, and creating what's consistent with his nature. The shorter catechism, well, it's shorter. <laughs> when he asks, how does God execute his decrees, he says, God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. But all three symbols, all three symbols, Westminster symbols, the, the confession catechisms, the larger and shorter catechisms, describe the scope of God's creation. In uh, Confession 4, 1, it says, It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Uh, so, more details. Right? We're building here more details. We're still not in the Bible, but what I'm trying to show is this is what the church has believed through the centuries. This is not something new. And uh, even as you look at this uh, paragraph, it's difficult for us to understand how somebody can say that they hold on to the Westminster Confession of Faith and believe in it and subscribe to it and then have a different view of creation other than that God created from nothing everything. Um, I'm not going to read it, but Catechism 15, uh, Larger Catechism 15 says similar things, also Larger Catechism 9. The only part of the, conf- of the standards that talk about the creation of angels is uh, Larger Catechism 16, where it says, How did God create angels? God created all angels in spirit, uh, angels spirit, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power to execute his commandments and to praise his name, yet subject to change. And all three symbols, all the, the confession, the catechisms, include statements on the creation of human beings. But as I said earlier, we're going to talk about the creation of humanity in a separate lesson. All right, so this is what the church has believed. That's what uh, we as a church, as a denomination, say we believe in our uh, theological standards. Now, does the Bible, what does the Bible teach concerning these things? Does, do these things we just showed reflect an accurate understanding of the Bible. And my contention is that they do. Uh, in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then the rest of the chapter continues the story of God's creation of the world, and its creatures, God speaks, and it is done. That's how the pattern of chapter 1 goes. And as we read it, uh, the, the, just the natural reading of the text, it, uh, you, you end up with the impression that these, these creations are miraculously, miraculous and sudden. He says, and just on the basis of his saying it, it becomes reality. It's not a process, and it's not natural. It seems to be, seems to be supernatural and sudden. 
And this is going to come to play in a moment. And that seems to be the way that the rest of the Bible understood the way that God created. For example, this is the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 11, where God, speaking through Moses, says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it real holy. And the, it's obvious that the six days in view here are the six days of creation. And we can see here that at least just the natural reading is that, the, the, that when God spoke to Moses regarding the fourth commandment, he saw those days as regular days of ordinary lengths equivalent to a regular week today. Because the pattern of the Sabbath is that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. Therefore, you work in six days and you rest on the Sabbath, a pattern of one in seven set up by creation. But there's more there in the scriptures that teach about creation. Uh, in Psalm 104, verse 24, for example, the psalmist says, O Lord, how manifold are your works, in wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So creation displays the wisdom of God. Creation is, is good. And that's, that, that, that's not been the belief of the church throughout. There's part of church history where the church decided that what's material is bad. Now, eventually, the church overcame that. But we often end up with that idea, too, that somehow the, only what's spiritual is good, the material is not good. And yet, God created both the visible and invisible. In Jeremiah 10, 11, and 12, again, God speaking through, through the prophet says, Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. There's no doubt in the scriptures that God is the creator, and he did it by the power of his might. Ephesians 1.11 talks about all creation being the work of God following his own will. Because here, God says, Paul says that God does everything he does for the, according to his will, for the praise of his glory, according to the counsel of his own will. Uh, James, uh, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues that when he says in John 1, 2, and 3, that he, that is Christ, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was. It's interesting that Paul makes sure that we understand that uh, it was God, the Trinity, that created the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was, were involved in the creation of the world, in, of the universe, when he says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father for, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Both being created. Uh, Father and Son, and then in, in, we're going to see the Holy Spirit also part of that. But not only is God the creator, he's also a sustainer, and we're going to look at it in Providence, where in Hebrews chapter 1, the author, the Holy Spirit says that the world, the universe is sustained by the word of Christ's power. So the same word that created the world sustains it in Providence. Uh, in, 
Hebrews 11 tells us that the only way that we understand this is by faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And uh, uh, I resonate with this first because I was a stout evolutionist, materialistic evolutionist, was saved, and without any further explanation, that made no sense to me anymore. Creation made sense to me. So eventually it's a matter of faith. We can present all the arguments. The arguments make sense. But eventually it's a matter of faith to believe. Unless God opens the eyes of the person, they will not acknowledge, at least not acknowledge, that God created all things. Questions before we continue? The first slide you showed, it said the Father created the world. Right. Why did they not just say that God created the world? Because he, they are trying to establish, to the, the, the Apostles' Creed you're talking about, right? They're trying to shape the creed in a Trinitarian uh, way. The battle wasn't of who created the world. That was just acknowledged. Everybody knew that in the early church. They're the battles for the doctrine of the Trinity. So it was more important at that time to show that there's a triune God than to be specific as to how exactly God created the world and, and how all three persons were involved in that creation. And it's also a very short creed. The Apostles' Creed is less than a page long. So that's, that's one of the reasons why. Lewis. No, no, we're going to do that next lesson. Yes, not later tonight, but it's part of another lesson. But you can read the Catechism, the Confession 5, Westminster Confession, Chapter 5, and it's a great definition. Andrew. Are there any groups, so-called Christian groups, who deny that God created all things? Not that I'm aware today, but in history there has been. Uh, they have a, they adopted Greek ideas that the world is just a, the physical world is just a constant, and because they need they in their theology they needed to isolate God from the the physical world because in their minds that was evil, so they couldn't have God creating an evil thing. So they would either subscribe to the Greek idea that the universe was oscillating and eternal. Or that some other lesser God created the material world than the true God of the Bible. All right, so, um, as I said before, the Trinity was involved in creation. Now, uh, God in general, the Father, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, the Father through the Son in Hebrews 1, 2, the Father through the Spirit, uh, I didn't put it on the screen, but Psalm 104, verse 30 says that. Uh, the Son in John 1, the Holy Spirit, we, feel, we see Him present in Genesis chapter 2, we see that in, also in Job 33 verse 4, where the Spirit is also part of the, the creating effort of God. Alright, so the Scriptures clearly teach that God created the material and the immaterial universe. Any, anything, anything that's not God was created by God. Are we okay with that? Okay. And He did that Ex nihilo. The, the, the uh, ex nihilo means out of nothing. He didn't start with something and molded and shaped it into something. He went from nothing to creation. The scriptures clearly teach that before creation existed, the only thing that existed was God. For example, in Psalm 90, verse 2, 
It says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Uh, notice the difference here, earth and the world. Uh, here is encompassing all creation. Earth, this place we live, and the world, the entire universe. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So even prior to any creation, God existed. John 17, as Jesus prays in verse 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, so to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here, the existence of the Father and the Son, God, prior to anything being created. So God predates existing matter and predates spiritual creatures. And it's hard for us to comprehend that because we are created beings and are bound to time and we're bound to space. So we can talk about some other reality that is not bound to time and space, but we can't really experience it uh, or even conceive on ourselves. The only uh, reason we know that there's this other reality that's not bound to time and space, God, is because He reveals it to us. We could not have conceived it ourselves. Even our language, right? When you say that God exists before time, what are we doing? We're using terms that refer to time to refer to a time where there was no time. You can see how that uh, gets a little uh, confusing. But since God existed before the creation, creation originally must have been from nothing but God. Are you following with me here? If only God exists and He created, then that creation can be from nothing but Him. You can't just grab some materials out of the stock room and transform it into something else. Are you okay? Are you following? Okay, all right. And that's important because it's become very prevalent today that God actually used the Big Bang to create the universe. And that's a problem with that. Because the Big Bang assumes, assumes the eternality of matter. Okay, we're going to talk about that hopefully in just a, a second. But in, in Psalm 33, verse 6, the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Just by the word of the Lord, not by his using matter, but by the word of the Lord. In Psalm 148, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commended and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and he shall not pass away. So that's the idea that God just out of nothing created everything. Any questions before we continue? What was the reference to that last song? 148, 1 through 6. Renee. Will we still be bound by time or space in eternity? Yes. Because when the eternal state is a physical state. Christ comes back Independent how you think things are going to play out, there are some things that are in common. Christ comes back. At some point, the, the righteous are resurrected. And forever, they live before God as body and soul. 
So uh, we all is going to exist in this uh, dimension, let's say, of time and space. Now, time won't have an effect as far as getting old, because aging and dying is a consequence of sin. At least the, 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 the achy bones and the lack of health of aging and dying is a consequence of sin. Since that's not going to be there, that's not going to be present. But we are time creatures. So, and time is just a concept, right? It's not a, a real thing. It's just how we measure certain lengths. But yes, we're always going to be bound to this particular existence. And that's the best for us. That's what God created us for. Anything else? All right. Um, there are two passages in the New Testament that explicitly, as I, as I see them, explicitly teach that creation is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and listen to this, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So that when God creates, that's what he does. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. He just doesn't reshape matter. Now, is there anywhere in the account of creation where God does reshape matter? When he creates man, right? Grab some dust and here it up. Here we are. The creation of woman. He creates out of a rib of man. But the, the origin, the primary creation was made out of nothing. And once God creates all things, then he can shape things from, from there as well. And then Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right, so uh, creation out of nothing. Now, it, modern theoretical physics, and it's theoretical physics because it cannot be proven by the scientific method, but modern theoretical physics and cosmology are wrestling with this same question. Cosmology is the study of origins of the, of the universe. They're wrestling with the same questions. How did this world come to be? How does the universe come to be? And what is the prevailing theory? The Big Bang is the prevailing theory. And the Big Bang teaches that the universe came into existence from nothing. Well, more accurately, if you actually understand the the physics, came from an infinitesimal point of infinite density. That is, a very small thing (laughs) that contained the entire density of the current universe, all squished into this almost immeasurable little point. And out of it was just nothing. Nothing exists out of this. So the entire universe, the density of the entire universe resided in that that point. And And for unexplained reasons, it exploded. And from nothing... Through that split moment, the universe, when the universe was smaller than an atom, and then it, uh, it, it just forces that don't exist anymore and that cannot be measured or replicated, caused all these, this matter that was concentrated to keep on growing, growing, and growing, and out of that came order. So, and, but those forces cannot be measured today. 
and it contradicts how the world works today, but that's okay because the science says, right, that that's how it uh, happened, even though science contradicts that happening. So that's the current um, explanation. Uh, a few years ago, when John Paul II, he's the one that was before Benedict XVI, right? Are we might have, no. Yes, he was. John Paul II declared that the Big Bang is a accurate and possible explanation of how God created the world. So you can be a faithful Christian and believe that. The problem is that after that, Steve Hawkins supposedly proved through theoretic physics that the Big Bang could happen randomly without any exterior forces causing it to. So we have to be careful that we don't believe things just because science says, even though it might be bad science, because science will change, and oops, now we can't. We we have to change what we believe as well because of that. So um, it's proper. It's better to just look at science through the lens of the scriptures instead of the scriptures through the lens of science. It's interesting that in the secular world, it, so Christianity tends to be like fifteen to twenty years behind. You know what's going on out there a lot of times. A lot of times Christianity embraces ideas that the secular world already have abandoned a while ago. In the secular world, there's a growing consensus that this universe has a design of some sort. Not with Richard Dawkins or the most popular atheists, because they're not real scientists, really. They're just kind of speaking out of terms, not in their own... uh, I think Dawkins was a zoologist, and he talked about physics a lot. So, um, But anyway, I digress. Uh, there's a, con- a very uh, strong argument in the secular world that this universe has a, a design, which implies in their minds some sort of designer. They're not acknowledging the God of the Bible, but the evidence is too strong for them to go otherwise. Any questions before we continue? Yes, Doug. There's a great uh, interview between Ben Stein and Richard Dawkins where, uh, where Ben Stein basically corners Richard Dawkins into exactly what you're talking about, the cabin and some catalyst to, you know, creating yeah. existence out of, out of something else. And Richard Dawkins actually admits it and says that it was probably aliens. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it, the more you press, the more absurd the argument becomes, right? And the more, more true, or the, no, that's not an accurate way. The more evidence is to the truth of Romans 1. That really is a suppression of truth. It's not an ignorance. It's a, it's a suppression of truth because we do not want to acknowledge that God is creator. Because once you acknowledge God as a creator, you have to acknowledge him as your owner. Because whoever created you gets to tell you what to do. <laughs> whoever owns this universe gets to tell us what to do. And if it's not God, then, well, maybe it can be myself. right? So that's, that's really Romans 1 in play there. And Ben Stein is not a, a Christian either, right? Some Jewish background, but not necessarily a, a faithful Christian either. Just a thinking man, a little more. Any other questions before we continue? Yes, Jonas. Is there any significance that is not made out of nothing? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, no, I don't know. As far as the, the doctrine of creation. I think, yeah. that, I think God doesn't do anything without a purpose. Right, and I think that because of things he says later on, is actually 
to help us be a little humbler about ourselves. You came from dust. You returned to dust. That's all you are. Don't think that highly of yourself. I think that ultimately that might be the reason for that. Anything else before we continue? All right, so briefly, the purpose. Why did God create? Right, there we go. Let's move on. That was it. The good. Um, We're done. But that's true. That's why he created for his own glory. So Catechism 7 says that. The scriptures also teach that. Isaiah 43 says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, to do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So no, just one evident one show that. Revelation 4, 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And because of that, you're glorified. So the glory of God was the goal. And then the question, as we finish this morning, that everybody, that's really what people like talking about in church, the time of creation. Now, when it happened, how did it happen, that kind of stuff is what uh, this would be included. And I'm going to start by talking about some things that I, that I don't think are true, but they have a lot of uh, um, traction in the Christian church, especially in Reformed circles. Uh, and I'm going to categorize them in, in non-historical theories of creation. That is where they look at Genesis 1 and 2 as non-historical poetic accounts of what happened. And then uh, we're going to take a look at some that uh, class uh, that say that well, Genesis one and two are just the way is not accounted days of creation, but the days in which God revealed things to Moses. And then we're going to talk about the truth. Uh. <laughs> the first one. This is probably the most popular among Reformed believers today. It's called the framework hypothesis. And it teaches that Genesis simply, simply gives in poetic form a, the totality, the extent, and grandeur of creation without reference to the actual order of events. And this, this view says that God created, period. That, that Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that God created. And just leave that, us at, at that and nothing more. Everything else is just poetry. And he says, look, there's symmetry between day one and six and day two and five and, and so on, which is true. There is, a, there is a symmetry between the first three days and the last three days and so on. And we find that throughout the, uh, in other places in scriptures where historical events are spoken in poetic language, but that doesn't mean that they, the things did not really happen. So the Bible gives us just a framework of creation. Just things to hang our thoughts on not really an account of how, a historical account of how things were done. They say there's contradictions. See, if God, if that's a historical account, then plants were created before sun. And so how they can survive without sun and so on. Well, that's easily un, um, answered. Light was created in the first day, so there was light present. Not only that, we're talking about a 24-hour period. Two days at most. So uh, the, it, they'll survive. It's not... Not a big deal there as well. Uh, so, but that's really the prevalent view in Reformed circles today. 
It uh, found its kind of biggest support originally at Covenant Seminary, which is the main, uh, is, a, is a center of a, of, a, of a big denomination in our days, and also Westminster, California, um, under the work of uh, uh, Meredith Klein, another uh, man that uh, believed in that. Any questions on that? All right, another one that uh, it has been um, followed is the revelatory day hypothesis. That is, that God revealed to Moses in seven days what he did at creation. Like uh, on day one, one says day one, he says that the first day that God spoke to Moses about creation. Day two would be the second day that God spoke to Moses about creation. Day three, and so on. So, it, uh, again, this view says that God created all that. We know is that God created, but we don't know how God created the order that he created, and so on. And then, um, and why, why do you think these views are popular? Any idea? Why, why do you think these views are popular? David? So Christians can appease the world. So Christians can appease the world. Yeah? What else? Tilly? Right, so that follows on the kind of what Dave says, that to appease the world. Well, the world says the earth is way older, so we have to figure out a way to include that in our theology. Andrew? I wouldn't say just to appease the world. I think there are legitimate areas of science where the world does appear old. I, I mean, that doesn't have to conflict with the seven-day creation theory, but you do have to figure out how you're going to reconcile that. Right, but if you choose to go... If you choose to reinterpret the scriptures in order to fit what somebody else is saying, there's an appeasement there, isn't there? I'd say it doesn't have to be external, it can be internal. Not to appease somebody else, but a genuine internal wrestling of the world appears old. So how do I reconcile that with scripture? And some choose to yeah. reinterpret scripture. And, and does, how does the Bible call that? How does the Bible call a worldview that is contrary to what the Bible teaches? Whether it's internal or external, is the world. The world. Yeah, the world is this worldview that's against the scriptures, right? The world is not the place; it's ideas. Yeah, I guess I'm merely saying that it's not solely for the sake of how people will perceive me, a caving in that sense. I'm just saying that there can be a genuine internal wrestling with how we reconcile scriptures with the appearances of the world. And what I'm saying is that. It, that might be, but eventually it will be as a succumbing to what is being said other in other places than the Bible, if that's where you arrive in your conclusion. Uh, Nick, you're going to say something? Uh, another reason why we might not. Yeah? Uh, just because we have a hard time believing the Bible sometimes. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. These are all related. Yes, Amy. So fear that some, somehow science might prove the scriptures, at least the way we view the scriptures, wrong. And then people bring, oh, you know what? The church was wrong at some point because said the earth was flat. And so, nah, that's fine. But let's not use that argument to just do whatever we want either. Right? Because the Bible tells us why the world looks like 
older. And is a, the argument is simple. The, the, the response is simple because God created that way. God created Adam as an adult, not as a baby. God created the stars and the moon and the sun as they are, including the length of their the rays, the sun, the the, the light uh, beams that come to Earth. He created everything there. He didn't create baby baby dogs. He created dogs. He didn't create baby whales. He created whales. He created you know, baby bats. No, he created bats, and and that's how he did. But, you know, we criticize people often, we make jokes about when science says, but we also accept that too, the idea that somehow if there's a PhD or whatever many letters after the name, that somehow that's more true than what they're saying, than what the about. So I think at some points the sufficiency of the scriptures are an issue that, uh, that uh, we don't hold on uh, to and, and so on. All right, continue here. Uh, this is not anymore, but at some point in the Bible Presbyterian Church and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, this was a very popular view, the day-age theory, that each day was an age-long period. And that becomes more of an issue because then you do have things being created out of order for a long period of time. So each day will be millions of years, not 24 hours as we know that. Another one that um, it was uh, popular at one point is that the each day was a regular day, but the period between days was millions of years. So we had day one, was 24 hours, creative day, then millions of years, then day two, 24 hours, creative way, then millions of years, and so on. And, um, and then one that, uh, no, I don't think anybody believes this anymore, but it became really popular uh, with the Schofield Study Bible, the gap theory, that there was a, the- a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, in which... One one, there was a, this other world created, and then God judged it, and then got all destroyed, and then God started afresh in Genesis one two, and that's how we have all the fossil evidence and so on, because there was a big gap between those two things happening, and so on. And then there's uh, recent creation, um, that God created the universe in literal consecutive days, resting on the seventh day, and uh, it is. Um, our belief that this view is faithful to the biblical evidence. Now, recent uh, evangelical Christians, recently evangelical Christians have come back to this view because of the scientific evidence starting a school of thought called scientific creationism. But in some ways, that is as it's said that took that for this to happen. Um, Okay. Quick, a defense of recent creation. What does day mean? Well, daytime mean uh, in the Bible, and I'm not talking about just philosophically. What the, what's the meaning of life? That's not a, what does day mean? Daytime in the Bible, the word, we express 12 hours usually. Now, we see that in Genesis 1 5, in Genesis 4, 1 14, 1 16, 1 18, 8 22. Uh, it can also refer to a calendar day in the scriptures. We see that in Exodus 8 through 11. To, to uh, 28 through 11, where we talk about the Sabbath day there. But you can also refer to an indefinite period of time, the day of the Lord. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's not in a, a particular time. Of, uh, it can be indefinite. However, when days are used um, in the plural, there is 
they're uniformly literal in the Old Testament. Over 700 plus times, the word days, plural, is used. And they're uniformly literal understanding of a day as something that somebody lives through and so on. Uh, even in mourning, the scriptures are described as describes literal days throughout the scriptures outside of Genesis 1. Uh, the, the application of the fourth commandment, right? It, because God did this in six days, you work six days and you rest, also shows that they understand, the Bible understands itself to be uh, six literal day. Uh, Adam and Eve evidently lived through the seventh day. And then, as I said, the, inter, the necessary interrelation between uh, days also would call for regular days of ordinary length. And you notice that I didn't use the word 24 hours, right? What is 24 hours, 23 hours, 25 hours? That's irrelevant, is that there is ordinary length days, days that people lived through and formed a week out of it. Any questions on this last point? So God created the world and created all things in six days and created everything very good. There's nothing that should cause us, really, there's no evidence that causes us to think otherwise. This is what God has done. And he created all things. He created us. He owns the world. He owns the universe. And because he, he is a creator, he gets to tell us what to do. And we find that in the scriptures. The scriptures principally teach what God uh, the scriptures principally teach what, who God is and what he requires of us so his word is sufficient for us as the word of the creator to tell us how to live life and what to believe how to relate to one another how to think and so on and everything should be looked through the lens of the scriptures because they come from the hand of the one who owns us and who created us for his glory and who desires us to follow him for our own good. So there's a very practical implication of the fact that God created all things and created just out of himself for his own glory and all things will return to him as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 the son will hand it to him, to the father for his own glory. So Lord willing, next Lord's Day we are going to look at providence but you can peek ahead Lewis if you want to know and look at the Westminster Confession chapter 5 which would be a good description there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you're good to us. We thank you for creating this world. Thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you for that. For those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we can see your attributes revealed in it. We pray that as we approach the worship hour, that we would be able to worship as a creator, but also the redeemer of God's elect. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.